Hello and welcome to the St Mark's MK podcast. We are a small community in Milton Keynes, growing in faith as disciples of Jesus, while showing love and sharing hope to all our neighbours. Thank you for joining our village. We hope this conversation about building a life of peace and meaning helps you. It will make much more sense if you use these episodes as conversation starters with others and see where the grace of God leads you. In his book, David and Goliath, the writer Malcolm Gladwell makes the statement that wealth contains the seeds of its own destruction. Woo, that's quite a statement. We're going to be discussing this week whether we think that's true. And if it is true, then is there anything we can do to fight against that? Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the relationship between our souls and our stuff. The things that we own, the money that we have, the things in our house. Is there a relationship between your contentment levels, your joy levels, your happiness levels, your soul and the health and the well-being of your soul and the stuff that you own? We've been wondering whether there is a way to fight back against the popular cultural norm that of course there's a relationship between your soul and your stuff. In fact, there's multi-million dollar businesses built on that relationship. And the relationship goes that the more you own, the happier you are. But we're beginning to wonder whether maybe that's not quite true because we own more stuff than we ever have in our lives. In the history of the world, we've never had houses rammed with so much stuff and access to so many books and films on demand whenever you want it. But at the same time, there's all this anxiety and this crippling, nagging sensation that maybe there's more that I'm not experiencing and everybody else is. And even though a thousand and seven hundred people liked my post on the gram, it didn't buy me happiness. It didn't gift me contentment. So we're wondering if there is a way of getting it. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at simplicity and we've looked at thankfulness. If you missed those episodes, jump back in because uh, this one rides on their tailcoats and will make much more sense if you listen to those. Anyway, back to Gladwell. Surrounding his statement that wealth contains the seeds of its own destruction in his book are all these graphs. And they're graphs from a whole bunch of studies that have been done that correlate between money and things. If you want to read more about it, read David and Goliath or listen to something like the Happiness Lab podcast or just Google. There's a whole bunch of studies. And most of the studies are American, so that's where the numbers are. But uh, most of them have a graph that looks kind of straightforward. If you were to plot along the bottom the amount of stuff you own, the amount of money you've got, the amount in the bank, and if you were to plot along the side your contentment levels, your joy levels, your happiness, then what advertisers would have you believe, what industry would have you believe, what culture would have you believe that the more stuff you've got, the happier you are. The graph starts bottom left and it just goes straight up top right. More stuff, more money, more happy, more joy. But of course you and I know that it doesn't work like that. In fact, if you read some of these studies, you'll find out that there is a point at which having money, having stuff actually becomes detrimental to your happiness and to your levels of joy. Now, of course, having some money is helpful. If you have um, three jobs 
and you have to catch the bus in between those three jobs and you need all three jobs to make ends meet but the bus journeys make it really tight and if one's running late then you're going to be in trouble with your boss and you have to go shopping every day on the way home from work because you can't afford a freezer that would keep food fresh for a few days or the electricity to run it if you're not able to buy waterproof shoes or a winter coat if you're not able to make sure that the gas and the electricity and the water are all paid for at the end of each month if you're worried about bailiffs knocking on your door that is a tough life and not for one moment does anybody want to romanticize that if you're a farmer in sub-saharan africa and you're eking out an existence every day and you're desperately praying for rain in order that the few uh, few acres of crops that you have might somehow grow and then somebody gives you access to a food market and a fridge and some money to pay for food your life is changed of course it is joy does come with some money up to a point the graph would start bottom left exactly the same and it would rise and in all of the studies it say they say it gets to a point in american money about $75,000 a year that you might earn after that then it starts to negatively affect your joy and your levels of contentment. Think about this. Maybe you remember the first car you ever bought or you ever owned if you've got a car. My, my guess it was probably a rubbish one. Mine was. It had water would come through a hole in the floor and it's the kind of car that you had to park facing downhill because there was no way that it would start unless you were able to give it a little bit of a head start and running downhill and get it going none of the windows worked and it had this cassette player and it didn't work but there was so much joy that I got from that car now imagine imagine you've got a, a BMW you bought one last year last August and you're going to trade it in this August for this year's model with the new number plate well the level of joy that you get from that new traded in BMW, the scientists say, is nowhere near the same level of joy and contentment that I got from my first clapped out banger. I've, I've got way more money if I can afford a brand spanking new BMW, but the level of joy I get from it isn't the same. In fact, as I get it home, I pull into the drive and I look across the road and I see my neighbours also got a brand spanking new BMW, only they've gone for a four-wheel drive off-road model so that they can tow their new jet ski on a trailer that they've just bought as well. And all of a sudden my joy levels go down. And then somebody tells me I have to get some uh, a security camera to watch over the BMW when I'm not there and then I bust a tyre and I find out just how much a, a new tyre costs and then I've got to take it and get it valeted because next week is the parents evening at the school that I can't afford for my kids to go to and because I've moved up a bracket in society I now feel that I have less money than my neighbour and each thing doesn't bring me joy it brings me pain and frustration in fact, the advertisers know this. They know that you've just bought a new BMW and you should be feeling on top of the world, but you're probably not. So a few weeks later, they'll send you an email asking if you want to buy the accessories to go with your BMW because they know that you're probably having this nagging sensation of lack. And so maybe if we fall again for the lie that more will make us better, maybe the accessories are the things that I missed out on. Or maybe if I've got a granite work surface kitchen top, or maybe if I've got a fizzy water tap, then I'll be happy. What all the scientists say have done this research, there was one by the University of Warwick a few years ago that said rank of income, not income, affect happiness. 
It's this is what happens. You go up and up and up to a certain point. You get to about seventy-five thousand pounds, and then your happiness levels come down. It's this inverted U graph. It's this bell chart where I was expecting to be happier because I had more, but I'm not because I've got too much. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been wondering whether simplicity is a way of actually experiencing joy. We've been wondering whether gratitude is a way of actually experiencing joy. Not the way the advertisers tell us, but a way of actually getting contentment and joy. Wait a minute, though. I hear you all screaming. Boo-hoo for those poor people that only earn £60,000 a year, Paul. Boo-hoo for them. I would be happy with just 59000 I could stay on the right side of happiness and then I would be content and full of joy and able to be generous in all that I do. Really? Here's a, here's, here's a question for you. Uh, if you're with other people and if you've got a whole lot of courage, maybe you can say this number out loud, but definitely all of you think of it in your head. Name the amount... Name the amount of money that you would need to earn each year in order for you to feel content to have everything that you want and to be generous to the extent that you would like to be generous. Name the amount. Think of it right now. I'll give you a few seconds. <laughs> now, I'm willing to bet you almost any biscuit that the amount of money that you just named in your head or out loud is more than the amount of money that you're currently on. You're trapped. We all are. We're trapped in our culture that says, if I want to be generous, then I would have to be just a little bit more well off before I can do that. If I want to be content, I would have to be just a little bit more well off before I get there. I wonder if the way of Jesus is different. I wonder if the way of Jesus brings us into contentment. And I wonder if generosity is one of the ways of Jesus, which releases us from the trap of more and sets us free into the wide open expansive places of grace where we can experience joy and contentment and happiness. See, Jesus models this really interesting relationship with stuff. He doesn't really honestly seem to mind it. He's happy to go to parties at rich people's houses. He's happy to have disciples who are loaded. He's not bothered about preaching against stuff nearly as much as maybe you might think he is, but He's also not beholden to it. He's also happy just to eat a simple meal on the beach with fish with some friends. He's also happy to single out people who are generous in all that they do. He's able to live with money or without money and seems to know contentment in all of it. But what he models all the time is that the, the stuff that you have, the money that you have, it was a gift to you anyway. It was all given by the giver of good gifts, our Father in heaven. And so we're not to view it as something to be hoarded to ourselves as if that will bring us joy, but we're to use it for the benefit of others. We're to bless, bless others with it. We're to give it away. And it's in the giving that joy is released. It's strange that money can't buy me happiness, but I might be able to gift happiness to somebody else if I use my money well. I, I sum up the way of Jesus like this, that a, a disciple must be generous. 
I don't really care where you give it. You can make all kinds of reasons from the Bible as to where you should give it and how much you should give it. I don't think it's an amount. I think it's a heart thing. There are people who are multi-multi-millionaires, but, but their heart is, is a little bit poisoned by, by hoarding and by selfishness. And so they're, they're not that generous. There are people who earn way less money than me, and yet they give out, they outgive me by miles because it's a heart thing. And Jesus teaches and models consistently that a disciple of his is going to be growing their heart in a way of generosity. And so they're always going to be giving. I don't mind where, whether it's to a church or a charity, as long as it's not a cat's home, I don't mind where, a church or a charity, but they're always going to be giving. They're going to give in such a way that it's it's like if a, a market trader was to fill up your cup with flour and then send you on your way and charge you a pound for that cup of flour. No, 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 says Jesus. What that market trader should do is fill up the cup with flour, then push it down, press it down with a weight, and then refill the cup, and then push it down again, and then press it down again, and then refill the cup. You can get way more in that way. That's the kind of generosity we're to have. We're to have a, a right hand that gives away to other people and a left hand that doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Because we're, we're not proud or boastful of our generosity. It's just natural for my right hand to be giving away. Now think about it. If my heart is generous, generous and it's controlling my right hand, and my right hand is giving away, but my left hand is unaware that my right hand is giving away, but it's controlled by the same heart, what's that left hand going to be also doing? Giving away. Because it's controlled by the same heart and it doesn't know that the right hand is giving away. And it's thinking to itself, I've got to be giving away. I don't know if the right hand's doing anything to do with this. So I've got to be generous. We're giving away double. That's the life of generosity that Jesus speaks about. Craig Grishel writes a book called Weird. And in it, he talks about being free from the cultural norms in a whole bunch of different ways. And a couple of the chapters are about money and about giving. He says this. He says there are three types of giver. There are spontaneous givers. That's the, that's the time when I'm walking down the street. I've already got a cup of coffee, but I, I walk past somebody who's begging and maybe I stop and I give them some money or I buy them a drink. It's just spontaneous. It's when there's a bake sale in the office at work and I pay £10 for a cupcake because I assume that it's being raised for a, a decent charity somewhere. It's when a nephew comes and says, can you fill in a sponsorship form for me? And you do it. There's a, there's a spontaneity about it, but there's no planning to it. And it's usually spare change. It's usually stuff that I know won't really make a dent in my finances. It's just what I happen to have about my person. And that's great. And please don't stop being a spontaneous giver. But but that's just the, the bottom rung. There's more joy to be found in giving in different ways. If you climb up a rung on the ladder, you can find more joy, says Craig Rochelle, if you're not a spontaneous giver, if you're a strategic giver. A strategic giver will sit down and they'll think, what do I want to do with my finances? What are my values and how do I want to align my giving and the use of my money with those values? Where do I want to give? And if I want to give in the area of poverty alleviation amongst children or uh, climate uh, climate change and, and improving the plight of the environment and the world for generations to come. Well, those are my values and so I want to give in such a way. Now I'm going to find an organisation that does that or I'm going to get the qualifications to do that myself I'm going to, and I'm going to invest my money there and I'm going to give straight away at the start of each month and I'm going to give by direct debit and I'm going to make sure that my money does something well strategically. Then, says Craig Rochelle, there's a whole other level you can climb up to where you experience more joy and freedom from the trap of more. And it's this. You're not a spontaneous giver or a strategic giver. I mean, you're both of those things, but you're a sacrificial giver. A sacrificial giver gives away before considering themselves. 
They decide that they're happy with a camping trip in France for their holiday rather than the first class trip to Mexico that they might be able to afford with the 75,000 they're on. But with the money that they've saved, they decide that they're going to give that away. No strings attached. They're going to give it and be generous with it to at a material detriment to themselves. Not to a not to a painful extent, not to something that causes damage. Of course, it's got to be healthy if it's following Jesus. It's always good. But a sacrificial giver experiences sacrifice in their own life for the benefit of others. It might be true that you could afford Netflix and Prime and Disney Plus and Sky Sports and you could watch all of them every Friday night with a takeaway that you could afford. Or you might decide to be a sacrificial giver who doesn't have any of those things uh, but gets a takeaway once every two months and goes around to a friend's house and buys them a curry too and sits on their sofa and watches a film on their Netflix and all of a sudden they think, oh, this tastes so much more sweet to me because I'm enjoying it. I haven't fallen into the trap of more, but I've been generous and blessed others and sown into others and to an incredible extent and I'm experiencing freedom for myself. So here are your questions. And remember, the whole point of this is that it's a discussion starter. Uh, If this is all the teaching you're getting all week, it's going to be rubbish. Chat about it with friends, whether that's on a St. Mark's Zoom room off the website, whether you've got two or three friends that you just hang out with and have a God-focused discussion about this. Talk about this with them. How does thinking about money as a spiritual thing make you feel? Does it make you crawl inside and want to go and hide in a cave? What? Where do you get your values about your money from? It's probably your parents. What what would you like to do with your money? Are you a spontaneous giver, if you're honest? Are you a sacrificial giver? Are you a strategic giver? Would you like to move along one rung on the ladder at all? Is there a way that in community you could release more generosity? I mean, could three or four of you club together for one Netflix account rather than you all having it and then you use that together and with the money that you've saved you bless others is there a way that community could enhance generosity have you got a story you could share with your mates about a time where you were the beneficiary of generosity that just blow you away or a time when you were able to secretly give and you saw that money do wonderful godly holy things is there an amount that you think you need before you can be content or generous Talk about all these things with somebody else and see if they've got any wisdom or if you've got any wisdom for them. And in the meantime, may you be blessed with contentment. May you be blessed with gratitude for all you have. May your eyes be opened to see the bounty that surrounds you. And may you be blessed with peace as you discover the ways of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Keep the conversation going with friends and join us anytime. Have a look at stmarksmk.com to see what our village is getting up to. You're so welcome to join us. Until next time, be blessed by the giver of peace.